Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Anyone who was here last week will know that we're working our way through um, Colossians. And we're on chapter 1, starting reading at verse 9 through to 14. It says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good word, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Last week, Owen did an introduction to the Bible series that we'd be looking at this term, and he explained how Paul's letter to the the Colossians was written to address false teaching that was starting to get introduced to them. The teaching took the form that it was possible to have a better experience of God. Owen talked about there being a fullness that could be achieved by following the ways that were set out by those preaching to them. I like to think of them a bit like Dick Cheney when they were coming. You know, coming along and saying, okay, you know what you know. You maybe know what you don't know, but I'll tell you what, we know the known unknowns. You know, there's secrets here that you don't know that we can teach you and you're going to get a fuller experience of God. And it's a real danger for that to come into the church, because it's almost like what had gone before, what had saved them, what Paul had taught them, just wasn't enough. That suddenly there was this knowledge, this moreness, this fullness that had to be attained if only they were to be saved and become the people that God wanted them to become, to reach that fullness. It's quite interesting, then, to look at how Paul starts to challenge this right at the start of the introduction to his letter. But he's not challenging it in a really confrontational way. But he's doing it more in the way that a father would explain things to a child and encourage a child on, encourage the child to do good things, rather than being very critical. Paul accepts that there is a fullness when he writes to the Colossians. But he says it's a fullness that can be achieved by everyone and that isn't hidden. He pr- 
prays right away that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God doesn't keep secrets. His plan for salvation doesn't have anything that's hidden from us. In fact, his plan for salvation was raised up on a cross for the world to see. He didn't save his son from a humiliating death. He didn't keep his shame secret. It was done as public as was possible at the time. Even now, if you look at a crucifix and you see a figure on that crucifix, you know that figure is meant to be a representation of Jesus. There's no doubting who it's meant to be. Because we are so used to the symbolism around God's salvation plan. The truth is that according to Ephesians, Christ died that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Christ died for us to be filled, for us to have everything from salvation, forgiveness of sins, to the ability to live our lives as God wants us to live them. Truth is, there's no other secret knowledge that we can obtain that's going to bring us any closer to God than what Christ has already done for us. Christ's sacrifice is enough for me and for you to enter into a relationship as children of God. However, when we read Paul's prayer, it becomes obvious that there is a filling that still takes place in us. Like um, Eve was saying about the sponge soaking things up. But he goes on to explain what the filling is. He says that the filling that happens is a knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Whilst it's true that we enter into the fullness of Christ when we become Christians, it's also true that we're not immediately made perfect. We still have flaws. We still have our old self. We still do things we know we shouldn't do. But what starts in us is a work, a changing. And Paul recognises this when he prays for his prayer. What we do have when we become Christians is access to the full knowledge of God and access to his guide, his wisdom, his knowledge on how we should live our lives. That's why Paul prays for knowledge that the Colossians may become mature so that they're no longer swayed by false teachings but are able to divine between what's truth and what's lies. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray these lines, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're given a commission to spread the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom gets extended when we recognize God's will for our lives and obediently live it out. Eve gave a great example of that 
when she's talked about the sponge walking about, dripping. If we're living out God's will, we're slowly dripping into people's lives. And sometimes a single drop can be enough to refresh someone. Sometimes it takes years of dripping. But the reality of it is, if we are being who we're supposed to be, other people become affected. God pray, uh, sorry, Paul prays for that filling of God's knowledge in our lives so that we can translate the will of God in our lives into the everyday business of living in a complex world where Christians, especially nowadays, seem to need all the spiritual wisdom and understanding that God can give to us. We're faced with situations on a daily basis that test our faith. As individuals, we can be placed in situations where we struggle to see what God's will is in the situation. And if we as Christians can struggle with that, how much harder is it for a non-Christian when they're placed in a similar situation? You know, you can't fail to have missed that today is the 10th anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center in the Pentagon. Radio 4 has been running a series this week called Letters from Ground Zero. And it's a whole load of authors and people who were involved in events on that day were writing letters to different people. And as they wrote the letters, it was given a sort of a history of the day from their perspective. And on Tuesday when I was driving to Bradford, I actually got to listen to one of them. It was really, a really well written letter and really quite interesting. It was written by a woman to a partner that she'd walked out on on the day of the events that took place. And she says, it's not so much I stormed out, I just turned my back on you and walked away. And she talks about the closeness of the relationship, how comfortable she felt in the relationship. And you really felt there had been a deep love there in the letter as she poured out her heart to this person. But as the letter went on, it became clear that the person she was pouring her heart out to was actually God. She'd written this letter having been a believer whose life was turned around on the day that the atrocities took place. She wrote it to God and part way through she said this, How can a just and merciful God allow such an atrocity? How could this have been part of a bigger plan for salvation? Then she went on to, to go, talk about how let down she felt personally. And she accepted that even now, ten years on, whenever something bad happened to her personally, she still ran into his arms and sought comfort in him. She still accepted that she couldn't totally turn her back on him because she always knew when she turned to face him, he was there with his arms open waiting to hold him, waiting to hold her. She knew that she wanted the relationship with him, but there was a stumbling block. 
Here's a question for you. If someone was to start asking you questions about why these things happen, would you feel confident answering them? When you see things like the tsunamis that have happened in the last 10 years, and people talk about so much life just being wiped away, do you feel confident talking about God's grace in people's lives, God's plan for this planet? When someone loses a loved one, especially a child, do you feel confident talking into those situations? You know, there's a lot of hard questions that we've got answers to, which is why it's important that we get filled with God's knowledge, of God's will, of God's plan, and we're able to explain how a loving God wants everyone to be saved and not perish, but how sin has come into this world, and how it's our choices, our decisions, that leads to a lot of these things happening. We need to understand God's purpose. And the only way we're going to understand that is to build up our knowledge of who God is from his word and from our devotions and from teaching. Knowledge allows us to do something else. Paul tells us that allows us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is Paul describing his expectations for people to walk in a Christian life, how to conduct their life. He says, firstly, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Martin talked about soldiers and talked about obedience. And one of the things that, sh that strikes me is about a soldier's training. Soldiers are very much taught to do things by rote. And it used to be true a lot further back than it is nowadays, because now we do encourage them to think a little for themselves and improve their chances of surviving. But certainly you go back to like the Napoleonic Wars, where armies would march into battle shoulder to shoulder, stand in a line and just shoot at each other for a few hours until the last man standing sort of won the day. The only way they could get people to actually go into that madness was to train them to just concentrate on loading their rifle, putting it to their shoulder and firing it and doing it quicker than the guy that's doing it at you. It's the only way they could get people to do it. They had to be disciplined and obedient but get used to doing stuff over and over and over and over again. And I think being in a, you know, talking about being in an army is a good example for church life. Because if we get used to doing the same thing over and over and over again, like praying when we have a crisis, you know, like reading our Bible on a daily basis, then we get to the stage where when crisis does come in, we're still doing the things we know we should do, no matter how hard it is. Like Martin says, it's not that we don't have problems on a daily basis. It's just that we've got Christ here, and Christ is helping us deal with them. And because we've gone to him in the good times, it's easy to go to him in the bad times and be confident. We've got to be consistent. Secondly, Paul says that we must be fully pleasing to Christ. 
You know, just as we recognise what pleases our friends and partners in order to ensure that we've got good relationships with them, so too must we recognise what pleases God. We've got to search out his likes, his dislikes. And it's not as if he keeps them a secret to us. He's put it all down in writing so that we know what he likes us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. You know, this is the path to true freedom in a relationship. Our relationships in the personal world are about us changing, not necessarily to meet all our partner's expectations, but to get to a point where we're comfortable with each other and can live with each other and move forward together. And it's the same with God. Apart from God does expect us to meet his expectations, but he does forgive us when we don't. It's a path to true freedom from the dominance that this world has over us. From the dominance of, or sorry, from the desire to try and please others, to pleasing God. The third thing that Paul says is that through this knowledge, we should be constantly bearing fruit and increasing in good deeds. The emphasis here is on right beliefs and righteous conduct encouraging us to bear fruit. In the end, when false teaching is brought to a church, it's recognised by the fruit it brings or the lack of fruit that it brings. If we reflect God's grace towards us when we deal with other people then we'll start to bear good fruit the harvest of wisdom is works if we have God's wisdom we desire to do good things for him if we believe there's a secret knowledge a special knowledge to be attained then what you start doing is having a conceited attitude. You start putting another tear on another class who look down on people. The knowledge of God isn't designed for that. It's designed that we should love others rather than ourselves. There are no secrets. Paul's also keen that the converts should experience the full power of God in their lives. He prays that they'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's interesting to note that Paul is saying that all the power that God has given is available to all converts, no matter how recent, and that there's no secret path to obtain the power. He's praying it for everyone in the church. It's also interesting to notice that when he prays for the power, it's for a purpose for endurance and for patience. When we think of a world view of power, we tend to think of control and authority, don't we? You think of politicians or business leaders or stockbrokers, people who can destroy banks and economies, people who can declare war, people who can build big multinational companies that just seem to you know, 
have people come and worship at them. There was a study done by the BBC recently that showed that people's attitude to Apple products is very much a religious experience. The way that people anticipate the latest release of an Apple product and show devotion to the product when there's far better equipment out there, far cheaper, is a religious experience. It's the same as us coming along here anticipating what God is going to do. A brand built up by a business leader. It's like the land of the golden arches, isn't it? McDonald's. We all know it's not good for us. How many people care when they go along? Because they've got the branding right. We see politicians who make terrible decisions for the long term because the reality of it is what's good for the country in ten years' time isn't good for their political survival in five years' time. Power can corrupt. When people desire power, it can be a corrupting force in them. But the truth about power in God's eyes is completely different to power in the world's view. There's quite an interesting interview technique that gets used um, by police forces when they get someone who's very hostile and who's very much in your face, screaming and shouting. And the technique is to just lower your voice. And if that doesn't get a response, a response, lower your voice again. And just keep talking quietly until the person shuts up and listens to you. Because everyone's interested in what you're saying. It's just that if you're having a stand-up argument with them, they're going to out-shout you. So by talking in a lower and lower voice, what's actually happening is in their head, they're winning the argument because you're going down and down and down. But the reality of the situation is you're wrestling control from them because they're the one that's having to shut up and listen to you. You know, it's a total turnaround to how you think the power situation should be in that event. God is a bit like that when he talks about power. It's about turning things around so that the Christian holds the power. In a society that's run up over a trillion pounds of personal debt, patience and endurance seem like words that we've lost the meaning to. We want things right now, right here, don't we? I was listening to a, a radio interview on the way to church this morning, and it was a guy who was on air, again during the, the 9-11 events, and he was a news reporter having an interview with people, and they were watching a telly as the events unfolded, and he said what was really difficult is because they were a news program, they had, and on radio, so they had no pictures to show anyone, they had to keep talking through events, and he says you kept repeating yourself, and you were just so aware of how little you knew in a society that's got so used to Sky News, News 24, constantly feeding in information, information, and people were texting in and phoning in saying, come on, you must have more, you must have more. What can you tell us? What can you give us? And he says, 
We were sat there absolutely hopeless. We had nothing to give them. He says, the amount of times where we just sat and said nothing was incredible because we had nothing to say. We don't have a patient world. And any patience we did have is getting drummed out of us. You know, we expect things instantly. You know, I'm a systems manager and I'm always on about how I think technology is a good thing, but it's also a terrible thing. I'm going to tell you, for the last month, I forgot to recharge my mobile phone. My work mobile phone at that. But what I realised is, it made me far better at keeping my calendar dates, which I had printed off. So if I had to be somewhere at a certain time, I made sure I was there. I also made sure I had no disturbances when I was talking to people. Nobody could phone me because I'd sort of lost the charger, forgot where I'd put the charger, uncharged phone. I also made sure that I planned a lot better as well because I wasn't just doing things off the hoof looking at my Outlook calendar to see where I should be. What's the point of that? It's easy to conform to the world and think that the way the world does things is better than the way we do it. There was a study looking at the, the benefits of emails in a business. And there's a lot of top businesses now have removed email from their top executives. The reason being that there's so much junk email that these guys were reading or stuff that they just didn't need to know about coming from lower ranks that they were actually spending close on 40 to 50% of their time worrying about stuff or ranching stuff that they just shouldn't have been dealing with. And that's true at every level. We conform to society where we want to know everything. We want a knowledge of everything that's going on. We feel left out. If on transfer deadly, dead, deadline day, we don't know who our club signed. You know, how many football fanatics here were logged into the internet at 11 o'clock on transfer deadline day? Just me then. Alright, that was a bad example. <laughs> I could have thought of better examples if I'd gone there. I thought Tim would have had his hand up and Martin, but never mind. Oh, you're watching it. Okay, then. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you signed anyone at the last minute or not. We'd have found out the next day. But we're in that, we're in that mold, aren't we? We want to know things now, now, now. Patience and endurance. The world's gathering pace. Patience is starting to become a forgotten virtue. Personal skills are starting to become poorer as well. How often are you in a restaurant or walking down the street and you see two people together, but not together? Because you know what they're like. They're like... We forget what it's like to spend time, quality time, with people. 
heard a story at um, work this week about one of my work colleagues who was out on a date with a girl. And it was about the third or fourth date. And she took three phone calls at the, the table. And he got up, put down a load of money on the table, and just walked out. Then when she phoned him later that night, asking, you know, once she settled everything and finally got home herself, how, why he'd walked out. <laughs> she didn't have that far to go. <laughs> he did turn round and say to her, you weren't really on a date with me. I was there, but you weren't with me. There's dangers when we're not patient or when we don't endure things. We've got to be patient to listen to people. We've got to be patient to build relationships. We've got to be patient to achieve things in life. You know, there's that famous advert, isn't it? Good things come to he who waits. It's actually a quote by Longfellows that Guinness used. But <laughs> having said that, endurance, on the other hand, could actually be increasing. How many people have tried phoning a call centre recently? Hands up. You know what you get, don't you? Please dial 1 if you want to do this. Dial 2 for this. Dial 96 for this option. Boy, how do we endure you know the best part of it, when Paul's telling us to be patient and endure, he actually tells us to do it with joy. So next time you do a call centre, or you have to call a call centre, instead of listening to their music, why don't you try singing happy, happy day down the phone to them? <laughs> yeah. It's actually quite interesting to see how people deal with things in life. It's, even Christians. How often do we see people when they're put under pressure just put a mask on. You know, to have a smile that comes on their face that sort of says, you're not getting to me. When in actual fact, you know, you're almost at breaking point here. An instant society puts pressure on people. We have deadlines that we're always constantly chasing. We just seem to be busy, busy, Busy. Often we hear phrases from people. Like, why bother? Or it's not worth it. Not worth the effort. People get angry when things don't happen in their way. For them now, here. When we understand what patience is endurance is, when we get an understanding, a knowledge of God's will in our life, then everything else becomes insignificant. It's a real power. A real power is where the things of the world are insignificant to us, where we don't have to have the latest Apple product, where we can spend time with people building into their lives having the patience and the endurance to do that real power is not reacting to events the way that the world does but to trust that God is in control 
And no matter how difficult it is to see what his plan is in something, that it's all part of his plan in the end. Because God sees the end from the beginning. God works out all things for his glory. You know, we talk about the World Trade Centers. There have been some fantastic stories, some fantastic Christian witnesses come out of events that day. People who have turned to faith. You know, it's not just about people who couldn't cope with the event walking away. But people saw the event and came in. Knowing God's will puts a totally different perspective on the things that happen to us daily in our lives. Paul also emphasizes that we share in the inheritance of the saints. Nothing's hidden. You turn a light on in a room, everything becomes visible, doesn't it? Everything is revealed. We are an enlightened people having full knowledge of God through his son Jesus, when we walk into a room, we should be taking God's light with us. Things should be getting revealed. I remember, was it Charles Finney was on a train journey once, great man of God, and there was a guy reading a paper over from him. At one point during the journey, despite the fact that Finney hadn't spoken to him, the guy put down the paper, looked at him and says, you've got to tell me how to be saved because... I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was something about him that had made the man just realise how sinful he was. And he wanted to repent there and then. That presence that Finney had taken into that carriage with him had been recognised by the man. And he repented and became saved. So to sum up, Paul in a few sentences takes us through all it means to be a Christian. We're accepted, we're ambassadors, we've been given wisdom, and knowledge to build his kingdom. We've got power. We're to bear fruit. We're to show patience, endurance, and always give thanks to the Father. It's the essence of who we are. The essence of our faith. So what's now clear in the opening phrase is that Paul is protecting the young church. He can't stand by while the new teachers speak of a new and superior gift of freedom. It reminds them of what Christ has done for them and the sufficiency of that sacrifice to both pardon and deliver them from their sins. And he then goes on to pray a filling with knowledge and power for this, a life of increasing goodness and gratitude to the end. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.